0: Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Hi, welcome to this bonus episode of the Remove the Guesswork podcast. We recently recorded with Sarah Williams of Tough Girl Podcast. If you haven't listened to that already, I really recommend you, you look that up on iTunes. So It's called the Tough Girl Podcast by Sarah Williams. I've featured on it before, and we came back with myself and Antonia to record an interview all about the Arctic Circle race. Now, any of you who listened to my episode a few weeks ago describing our experience will be familiar with, with this, but it's the world's toughest ski race. We did this at the end of March to raise ten thousand pounds for alzheimer's research which we did and of course we met some wonderful people and had some amazing experiences on the way as well so sarah invited us onto the show we were delighted to say yes it was a privilege to talk to her again and appear on her podcast so have a listen to this if you like the show jump onto itunes as i say and download or subscribe to sarah's podcast as well so for a little bit more on the acr or if you haven't already heard about it tune in and enjoy our very frank review of the world's toughest ski race
1: Hello and welcome to the Tough Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Williams. I'm super excited that we are going back to speak with one of our previous guests, Leanne Spencer. And we're also going to be joined by her partner, Antonia. Hello, hello, hello. How are you guys doing? Hello. Very well, thank you. Hello. Good to be back. Good to be back. So let's just get the clarification right on the voices. So Leanne, say hello and then introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit more about you. And then we'll pop on over to Antonia.
0: Cool. Okay, so I'm Leanne. Leanne Spencer. I'm an expert in personalized health. I'm sorry if you can hear the dog in the background heckling me. This happens quite a lot. Yeah, recently back from the Arctic Circle, but I also am the co-founder of a company called Body Shop Performance Limited. We create total solutions to help people optimize their mind, body and well-being.
1: Love it. And Antonia,
2: introduce yourself. Yes. Hello. My name is Antonia Banash. I'm Leanne's partner in life as well as in business. And Recently, we have undertaken the Arctic Circle Race, which was all my idea, I'd like to add. Indeed.
1: I love it. So tell us about this idea. Where did it come from? How did the sea get planted? So that was a few years ago. Actually, we've
2: just come back from the. Uh, I don't know if you know the Rat Race, coast to coast in Scotland, from Nern all the way back to to Glencoe. It's about 160 kilometres, or probably about 170, more like it. You know, where you cycle and you run and you kayak all your way across across Scotland. And having done that distance, I said, "Oh yeah, let's find something else to do." You know, like on that sort of on that sort of level. And endorphins are uh, running high after an endurance event like that. And the thing is, I didn't really want to do anything about, you know, has to do anything with running or, or cycling or swimming because I think it's quite common. So I thought, let's just go and see if there's anything you can do on skis. So I basically Googled skis and endurance and the Arctic Circle popped up in the Google search engine and I thought oh yeah that looks like fun it's only 160 kilometers about, as you know as opposed to 170 which we've just done and I thought how hard can that be so I said to Leanne how about this you know we don't know how to cross-country ski so let's you know that's a proper challenge for us and uh, you know let's just let's just do this Leanne what you? I,
0: can I just say uh, yeah. on a level with the coast to coast there are levels to these things and the arctic circle is nowhere near the level of scotland's coast to coast it's higher i mean it's It's a lot tougher
1: it's a lot tougher what happened when antonia came to you with this idea and this suggestion i mean how do you normally sort of respond i mean do you like to take time to go think about it or are you sort of quite in the moment where you're like yes or no what Mm -hmm. was what was the reaction well i'm
0: quite impulsive normally i make a quick decision on things and you know, something like that, it's such a long way away, both in terms of miles, distance and in terms of time as well. So this was a good 18 months before we did it. And I, I do tend to say yes to those things, particularly as we we did it primarily from a fundraising point of view. And I knew with something like that, we could stick a really big target onto the Virgin Money Giving page and try and encourage people to help us hit it. So I was up for it. Um, we did watch some videos, which, you know, when, you, when you're marketing something is the world's toughest, whatever it is, in this case, ski race. They then post a lot of videos that back up that claim. So I got quite, ooh, at one point we watched these videos and I, I started to think, bloody hell, what have we taken on? But, so I stopped watching the videos because they were frightening me. <laughs> so for the rest of the time, up to it, I felt quite relaxed about the whole thing.
1: So l- let's just go back. So you've got 18 months to plan and prepare. Antonia, this was sort of, you know, something that you Googled and found out you're wanting to be on skis. You wanted to feel that level of endurance. Now for the both of you, I don't know, maybe both want to answer it. How do you go about planning and preparing? Is this something that you do together? Do separately? Do you divide and conquer? What's your process?
2: That's a good question. It was more sort of, let's do this as we go along. Certainly, we knew that we needed you know, to be taught how to cross-country ski because I'm an alpine skier. Leanne is a snowboarder, but cross-country ski is quite different. So we knew that we needed to do something about that before even contemplating doing this. So I think it was you, Leanne, who then found Posey.
0: Yep, Rosie Mosgrave is an ex-Olympian who
2: taught us to yeah, roller ski. She, she was ever so patient with us and she taught us basically how to cross-country ski on roller skis in Dulwich Park and then from there we went on to snow but I think in terms of planning it was just really at the beginning it was just let's just try and see how we feel on cross-country skis or roller skis in that case at the beginning anyway and then we didn't even think about the later stages of planning like you know the clothing the food or sleeping bags anything like that we just didn't even think about that it seemed such a long time time away for us to even think about these sort of detail whereas it was more about getting the physical activity under the belt yeah <laughs> and
0: I, I was just gonna add, out and we actually didn't look into things like sleeping bags clothing food or anything like that until probably six weeks
1: beforehand so let's just go back so leanne you're a snowboarder Antonia, you haven't cross country skied. You've done alpine skiing beforehand. Yep. Downhill, yep. yeah. Yes. So how did you find the adjustment going over to cross country skiing? Did you find it relatively easy? Because you're making the transition to cross country skiing, but you're doing it on rollerblades in Dulwich Park. How did you find that? What were the challenges involved?
0: Oh wow. I really didn't take to roller skiing. I hated it. I mean Posey did an amazing job of teaching us how to do it. But for some reason, just being up on those one inch roller skis, I just didn't feel comfortable. I kept dreaming what it'd be like to actually be pressing down on the snow. And sure enough, when I got into cross country skiing when we started in January, three months before we set off, I loved it. But I found it really difficult to adjust to being on roller skis. You don't really have a break. There's some form of snowplow, but it's not the same (laughs) as on snow. Mm. So I was really uncomfortable. I was very slow on downhills. I personally really didn't enjoy roller skiing. It was very much a labor of love just to get as much
2: specificity into our training as we could here in England without snow. Yeah, yeah. the same for me. I mean, I didn't particularly like roller skiing, but it served the purpose. But once we got actually onto snow, it was a completely different, different thing. I felt comfortable really straight away on the skis. Also because, you know, I'm used to having skis on my feet. I mean, not regularly. But, you know, I've been alpine skiing for quite a long time. So I've, you know, if it felt quite natural to me to have two skis on my feet. The only thing for me was going downhill on a cross-country ski. I mean, they are so thin, so light, and they start flapping straight away when you get a bit of speed. And obviously the alpine skis don't do that. They're much heavier. So it was like, oh my God, I don't really like this feeling of going downhill in cross-country skis. They're not really designed to go downhill, So you go down in a snowplow and uh, yeah, and even then you still get speed on and it still flaps around and it's just, you know, it just feels very, very uncomfortable. So I think in some respect, you know, it was quite, it felt familiar, but in others, it felt very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, we sound like a right couple of Jessies here, don't we? <laughs> oh, I didn't like it on roller skis. All oh, the, the skis flapped when we went downhill. But it yeah. all, you know, we, you we wanted get to fast. find something. Yeah, we wanted to find something that did take us well out of our comfort zone. And from starting on roller skis to actually taking part in the race, it definitely did that.
1: I mean, I think what's interesting, especially Leanne, I've heard you use the words, you know, like the words like fear and feeling uncomfortable. And actually, I think. That's really empowering because this is one of the reasons that you want to do challenges like this is to have these these feelings of fear and being uncomfortable and stepping outside your comfort zone and starting to have those doubts and start thinking, is this possible? Can I do it? During the 18 months in the run up, what would you say was the biggest challenge that you had to face? Was it fundraising? Was it the gear? Was it getting knowledge about the race? Was it the mental preparation? Was it overcoming something that you hadn't even expected?
2: Mm. A little bit of all of that. I think the biggest challenge for us was, you know, for me personally, was actually getting the the hours in to train on roller skis because obviously, you know, we are fairly fit generally speaking, but uh, sports specific stuff, and that's really important, especially in a on a long endurance event like what we've just done. It is really important. I mean, the more sports specific training you've done, the easier you know it is for for you to actually go up and down the hills. So that was one challenge because. To be fair, I mean Dulwich, Dulwich Park is quite flat. There's a little tiny—I can't even call it a hill now. It's just a little bit of going up and down, you know. And uh, I called it Mount Everest back then, and now I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, after what we've just done, so st- training specifically for the, you know, for the Arctic Circle was actually a challenge. And in high inside, I think. I would have prepared completely differently, to be quite honest, to what we've actually done. But we didn't know what was ahead of us. And then, secondly, I think fundraising was was also a challenge. But Leanne did really well. I mean, I must say that she did most the bulk of it. I just put the. I was going to say, I hope you're not claiming that. No, 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 time. I am not. I'm not. I just I, I just put the post up. On I my did
0: the lion's share. We'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> but on a serious note, on the the fundraising, juggling running a business with also fundraising was the biggest challenge for me. I had to make sure I didn't take my off the ball with with business with the, the, you know focusing too much on fundraising. Similarly, we had to make sure you know we didn't have to and there would have been no big issue if we'd come in at eight and a half grand, not ten thousand one hundred, but we, I wanted to hit that number, and I 'm really glad that we had because we we drew on that a lot during the event itself mm. and all the support we got and the fact that we we were on our way to hitting our target but it's it's quite a big number to hit, and what I would have liked to have done in hindsight, is start a bit earlier and try and find a sponsor that would have covered our costs. We didn't do that. So it's cost us quite a bit. And that was worth every penny because we've had an amazing experience. We have raised the money for charity. It's done a lot for our profile and we've personally gained a lot from it. So no regrets, but I would love to have actually got our costs covered as well Mm. as raising the money for for charity and juggling everything else in life. Mm. That that was a big challenge, but Mm. it's doable.
1: So I just want to go dig into sort of both of what you've both said about the challenges. So Leanne, if we start with you, so you talked about, you know, the cost. How much did it cost you to actually do this race? Have you added it all up with regards to Haven't added it up. Haven't added it up.
0: (laughs) Well, I've totted it up in my bar. I haven't done an actual calculation. I reckon it's cost us four and a half grand each. Wow. So the simpler thing would have been to just get four and a half grand together mm. and bung it in you know, Alzheimer's research to go about <laughs> our business. But that would have been the spirit of things, obviously. It has been quite a lot of money. I mean, it's two and a half K to enter. We spent, I won't go into every line item, but you know, we had to go over to Austria and do two trips to learn to cross country ski and to get a long weekend of in. And then there's all the kit. know, we mm. woefully underestimated the cost of the kit. Mm. That said, that 450 pound shell jacket that I put on once is going to last me for life. So all that kit, if it's taken care of, will be kit for life.
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely talk about kit a little bit later. I mean, what I would say is I think whatever race that you end up doing, it, it's amazing how the cost can end up spiraling. And then you can end up having the mental. I definitely have this mentality for the Marathon de Sable. So I think, well, I'm only going to do it once. So I might as well get the best socks possible and, it, <laughs> you know, to and to ensure that, you know, you feel comfortable and confident doing it so Antonio coming back to you 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 talked about the challenge of doing like the hours of training and making it sport specific and obviously you know you are running a business as well how did you fit that in like how did you make that work for you what were your tips what were your tricks what were you getting up at 5am in the morning were you training twice a day how did you make it work
2: so as a as you know we're fairly Fairly fit anyway. So, I there's a certain basic fitness regime which I do anyway, and I never ever ever dropped that. So, because it was hugely important, so I never drop. So, I do boxing, I do a spin class, I do run sort of stuff. So, I do that's fixed, and I'm still doing this, and I will continue to do this. So, you know, that gave me my base fitness. I've been doing this for years, so I have never dropped that but I have added in other things like strength training especially tricep dips everything to build up my triceps because cross country skiing is all about the triceps really so I did a lot of strength training which I added in more more than I would usually do I did obviously the cross country skiing you know because we are running our own business we were a little bit more flexible around timings and Dulwich Park is literally around the corner from our office so you know we did a little bit of training around lunchtime in the park instead of having lunch you know something to eat we just do did A few laps around Dulwich Park. We did the Sundays, we did uh, Sunday mornings early in, in Richmond Park sometimes because we needed, you know, we wanted to do distance, which is another challenge because you really, I mean, we signed up to do 50 kilometers a day. So One of the challenges is actually also to get the the distance in on those roller skis. And it it was really, the first we could go was basically Dulwich Park and that's one lap and that's about 10 K. So, you know, we needed to do that early on a Sunday morning. So it does require commitment and determination, you know, to do these sort of things, but that's true for any endurance event. I mean, if you are completely, conditioned and you want to take on an event like this mm-hmm. I think you need at least two years of preparation just to get your level of fitness up because yeah. towards the end I think it was our fitness levels that got us through us not because yeah. we're great skiers but if you have your fitness level you can get through an event like that you will be slower because you just lack the technique but you will get through to the end whereas if you don't even have the fitness you are most likely to pull out
0: yeah I do what I t- one one tip for anyone listening in though is is try and blend your fitness into, yes, there's a specific fitness you need to do. But what we did and still do is is we build just build up tons of aerobic fitness by walking mm. a lot, hacking movement into our day. So we're not doing a training session and sitting down for the whole morning and doing a training session and sitting for the afternoon. We're up on our feet. We're talking at the moment from a standing workstation, a lot of active transport. So that's walking versus perhaps getting the bus. Anything like that that you can build in that might not directly relate to the Marathon de Sable or the Arctic Circle race. It's still building a really good base foundation, aerobic fitness. And that, that's very valuable. Then you've got quite a lot to build on.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great tips and great piece of advice. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the fundraising. So I don't know if, Antonio if you'd like to share why you chose the charity. And then, Leanne, I'd love for you to share more advice and tips for people who are raising money, because I I know from personal experience, I mean, I raise money every year for London Marathon. It just seems to get harder and harder and harder. And I know there'll be a lot of people out there who are fundraising. So yeah, so Antonio, if you could just share a little bit more about the charity and the reasons behind it.
2: Yeah, sure. So we raised money for Alzheimer's Research UK, and the reason behind that is my dad, who was severely ill with dementia back home. And I was two years ago when we, when I first started fundraising for Alzheimer's Research, I was just horrified how much or how little money is put into to developing. A cure or you know drugs for for Alzheimer's compared to other chronic illnesses. So so it was basically a double thing, you know, my dad being ill and then also seeing how little how, how little funding goes into research. And I thought that's you know that's the motivation behind it. Also, there's nothing you can do about someone who's got dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, and you feel a bit hopeless. So the only thing I felt I could do to make me feel better and, you know, to help other people who are also affected by Alzheimer's, either, you know, a family member or themselves, is, you know, to raise money, to raise awareness, raise money and help find a cure for it. So that's really the motivation behind it. Mm.
1: And Liam, what, what would your tips be for, for fundraising? Because you guys raised a, a huge amount of money, you know, over £10,000, which is incredible. I mean, great thing to do for, for Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah. So we did a couple of things. Firstly, we asked and we asked and we asked. What I mean by that, we did a lot of fa- we used a lot of Facebook a lot. So we put posts on. We put posts of us training. Posts of us. Well, not so much eating, but you know, part of the preparation, you know, if we were using a certain supplement, for example, updates as we went along as to how, how it was going and information we found out about the race. Basically, it's any sort of hook that we can use to make a post and put the link at the bottom. And we carried on hitting the good people of Facebook all the way up until about a week ago when we hit the target and I was able to leave everyone alone for a bit. But every time I did a post. Particularly in the latter weeks, you know, so two weeks before the event, during the event and a week afterwards, we got anywhere between £30 and on one day, several hundred pounds. So every time we posted, somebody, probably a few people were like, oh, no, it's them again. But other people were like, oh, I haven't done it yet. And they jumped on and sponsored us. So the big message I would say is don't be afraid to ask and keep asking. If people are fed up, then unfollow you and who cares? But the other thing we did, because we knew we weren't going to get to £10,000 through friends and family, generous as they are, is... I wrote to several businesses with whom we have good connections. So we've been drinking the chuckling goat milk kefir from the chuckling goat farm in Wales for years. I know Shan quite well and I thought she might be interested in getting involved. So I wrote to her. said this is what we're doing. We drink your goat milk kefir. We do that because it keeps our guts healthy and that contributes to energy and overall health. We're happy to do some posts. And I only wrote to people for whom I would be really happy to endorse the product. And I said, you know, happy to do some posts for you on how this is helping our training if you're sponsor, and we had three levels of sponsorship named after the first, second, and third women to finish the race last year, two years ago. So the flyship package, for example, was worth £500. The package above that was 1000 and the one below that was £250. And in the end, we got about two people signed up for the big package, three signed up for the middle package, and one signed up for the smaller package. So we did about half the target through business sponsors. And um, We did some promotional work for them. We had their logos put on a t-shirt, we took photos of ourselves in the tiny little Sisimo airport, for example, in Greenland, in these t shirts and all sorts of funny places. And that's how we did it. We did half of it via business, and then we did the other half of it via friends and family.
1: Yeah. Well, no, thank you both for sharing. That. I think that's really interesting. One, knowing the motivation behind it, but also about how creative you can be with regards to fundraising and the different things that you can try out to see what's going to work for you. I do obviously want to come on and talk about the race. But before we do that, I just want to cover off a little bit more about your relationship together. Because normally, it's generally it's one person in the relationship who's going after this challenge, you know, doing a challenge solo. But what I think is really interesting is, is the partnership side of things. So when there's two of you going for it, Were you able to use each other to bounce ideas off? I mean, obviously you'd be able to do that. But I mean, more about like managing stress, Were there points when somebody was high and somebody else was low. How did it work between the two of you before in the run up? Because I know it can be quite sort of a a stressful thing and how you sort of both manage that. Yeah,
2: so surprisingly, before the event, it was quite easy. You know, we actually... It probably sounds a bit bonkers, but I actually didn't mind training. I thought it was quite enjoyable because it was so Mm -hmm. new. You know, it's like learning a new skill, cross-country skiing. I just didn't really know much about it. So, and I absolutely fell in love with it. You know, even after having done uh, the Arctic Circle race, I still want to keep up. In fact, I want to get better at it. You know, I just, and I think the training as such didn't really, I think we both were on the same page. So it was surprisingly easy for us. You know, we do our own, as I said before, you know, we did our own fitness regimes anyway and the cross-country skiing and the roller skiing in the park we did together so we were more or less in the same level weren't yeah. we I mean it was, really it was not that practicing. one was dragging yeah. or the other one was yeah you know not motivated I mean sometimes when we because Posey gave us some homework to do and sometimes we didn't do it I must say <laughs> I, should, I hope she's not listening but yeah. <laughs> you know we just we just looked out of the window and said oh, I am not feeling yeah you know, I don't feel like doing it's cause, it because I didn't enjoy the roller skiing it was a real real force so effort. any excuse yeah. You know, Oh, it's a bit grey. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so that was a bit of a struggle, but but once we got on snow, it was actually quite. Yeah. It was interesting actually because yeah. on the roller
0: skis initially I was quicker,
2: yeah. and then yes. when we
0: got on the snow, Antonia was faster. So oh. I was thinking, oh God, I don't know how we're going to do this difference in pace of 160 kilometers. <laughs> True, yeah. And then we got out on the snow, and Antonia was that just that bit quicker because she had I, I I don't know maybe better technique or just more familiarity on skis. We but we ended up being at a very similar pace. So it did
2: work out well. Yeah. I mean, running for a marathon. So we trained for the marathon last year and it wasn't that enjoyable because, I don't know, it's just because you spend so much time running on the roads and, um, you know, you spend four hours on a Sunday to do your long run and that sort of stuff. And it kind of, you know, and especially again, if you run out of routes to run, you end up running the same routes and it's like, oh, no, not that again, you know, but this was different. This was because the whole thing was so different. It was quite enjoyable.
0: And then to your point earlier about how hard it is to raise money doing the same thing, that's why we moved away from marathons. Mm-hmm. Because one year we raised four and a half K and the year following we raised 2,200. I don't think people were getting as excited about it. You know, we're two fit people in a health and fitness company, health and wellbeing company. I just think there was much less excitement. It's like, you know, no one said so, but you've done it before. You know, you've done a few of them before mm-hmm. now. We're not going to stump up the same amount of cash. So we knew if we wanted to get a decent number for the fundraising, we had to do
2: something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: so let's head over to Greenland then. I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like in your house, like the day before or the hours before. Are you like super organized? Is everything ready and prepared weeks in advance in you know, laid out on a different bed somewhere? Or was it like, oh my God, where's the, where are the socks? Where are the skis? Everything <laughs> around the house. I say yes. It's a bit
2: of a mixture. I think Leanne is the more organized. I'm the one, oh, where are my socks? Yeah, yeah. you are more. We we're, were pretty organized. We packed the weekend before.
0: We left on a Monday And the night before we put everything out on the bed, we knew we had everything. We'd done a kit check, packed it all up and then kept it in the spare room. So the animals, the cat and the dog couldn't see the bags. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I guess buying the kit was quite last minute. We did that two weeks before and we generally got all that right. I had to rush back to the shop to change the gloves, which are way too big for skis. But we were pretty organized about that. We packed really lightly as well. We'd had one day's delay in in Greenland. I guess we'll get on to that. But we were delayed by 24 hours and I'd I'd only packed enough outfits for the day we were out there. And that was not a new outfit for every day. (laughs) Just, you know, just fresh bits and pieces because all I packed really in in the case was the stuff we would absolutely need on the snow. Mm. And it's hard to know what you'll need as well. So it's just lots of little layers that we could put on take off depending Mm. on the weather.
2: Yeah. Well, this did say there was a weight restriction. You know, we were only yeah. allowed to take 15 kilos with us to the to the camp yeah. for a 10 day trip. Yeah. It's not a so lot. It's it's not a lot. So we were a bit restricted in what we could take. But, yeah, the packing was done. Yeah. I think we were quite organized. We had a checklist, as you said before, yeah. you know, and going through this because you don't really want to find yourself in Greenland and then find out like, oh, my God, I left my gloves back home, you know, or something like that.
1: So what happened when you did get to Greenland then? like, How did it work? Were you collected from, from the airport? Were you taken in a coach? Were you, did you have to make your own way to the start line? No,
0: the timings of the flights were a bit tricky. So we had to go to Copenhagen on the Monday and then get the flight from Copenhagen with all the other competitors on the Tuesday. So it's a bit <laughs> of a, a prolonged journey. flight over to a place called Kangas, which is in, yeah, in Greenland. It's a four and a half hour flight from Copenhagen and then you get this tiny little de Havilland plane from there that takes you to the tiny village of Sisimuit and um, that flight was delayed and there were a few of them cancelled because of weather conditions. And as we were flying, it's only a 40-minute flight, I think 30, or 40 minutes, and then, yeah, flight from Kanga to, uh, to Sisama. And I was looking out the window the whole time thinking, this is really mountainous terrain. <laughs> have you looked? Have you looked? Yes, yeah, she said yes. And said, no, no. have you looked through the window? It's incredibly mountainous. And no one else seemed remotely <laughs> perturbed, but I, my nose was stuck to the window thinking, bloody hell, oh, this, is, this is terrain. <laughs> that was my first impression. <laughs> so
1: how do you each deal with those pre-race nerves before the start of the race?
2: I switch my brain off, basically, I just don't think about it. Because naturally, I'm a bit more of an anxious type of person, so I found out through life experience, you know, to switch your brain off sometimes helps, and not to think too far ahead, because otherwise I just kind of feel paralyzed, and I would end up not doing anything at all. When I do an event like this, I just look, you know, an hour ahead, two hours ahead, the evening ahead, the following day ahead. I don't really get too excited about what's what's coming down the road, because otherwise it's just, it can be overwhelming. It happened to me one day before the race, I started to get really, really nervous. And the way to manage it, it was just to get out and do a bit of skiing yeah. to settle my nerves. And I said, okay, I can do this, you know. But yeah, I just, usually I just tend to switch off my brain. I don't know how you deal with it.
1: Wait, just, um, Leanne, before you, before you jump in, could you, yeah, I tell sure. you, could you just share a little bit more? You, you know, you said, I, I think that's quite interesting what you said, you switch your brain off. How exactly do you do that? Or what is it that you're doing in, in those moments?
2: So, in those moments, I just either talk to someone about something completely different, I read a book, I watch a film. And when I see, you watch a film, it's nothing lofty, it's something quite. Uh, unlofty <laughs> lofty you know something which is more entertaining rather than you know challenge your brain in any sort of way or something which is yeah lofty it's more like you know a basic thriller basically you know something that draws myself you know into the story and that sort of stuff but not nothing too intellectual which re- doesn't require too much thinking but yeah other reading or talking to someone and, and that's about it really or sleeping if i yeah sleeping
1: Oh, okay. No, so it's more like a case of like distraction and just to yeah. No, no, that I think that's really because otherwise great. Because,
2: because otherwise i just you know if I'm spending too much time on my own then I would actually really be starting thinking about it and I, my brain would just go in overdrive, yeah, and think about the what ifs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and Leanne, how do you handle those those pre nerves or all those feelings before the start of the race?
0: Well, I mean, leading up to it, apart from the day before, I didn't really have any unless I watched videos of how tough it was. So I stopped watching the videos, but I didn't have any nerves. I felt quite relaxed. Mm -hmm. So I did watch a couple of YouTube videos so I could prepare the night before. And then the day before the race itself, we did both feel very Mm -hmm. nervous. But it was. I think it's because we'd been out there for 36 hours and we hadn't actually gone out on skis yet. Everyone else had gone out to practice. And I think we were subconsciously mm. putting it off. If we don't know what's out there until the race, you know, we, we'll only find out when it's too late. But actually, once we put the skis on, on the day we went for a practice ski, the conditions were stunning, absolutely stunning. The tracks and the piece were beautifully bashed. Hardly anyone had been in them. It was a very clear day. We didn't see anyone on our practice ski except one skier. And we came back feeling amazing, thinking, well, mm. this is going to be absolutely stunning. Mm. And of course, the weather, you know, we'll come to it, but it, it ended up not quite being like that as, you know, Arctic weather is very unpredictable. But as to, to nerves, it was really just a question of getting out there and doing it. When I feel nervous, I, I take action. That's how I deal with them.
1: Interesting. And in terms of race strategy, so before you started the race, you must have had uh, a team meeting or, you know, had chats (laughs) about your strategy and the plan for the race. Did you both agree on the strategy? Did you have different ways or, you know, how did you how did you decide on the race strategy and what was it? Well, strategy,
2: I think we wanted to finish the race. That was our objective. We didn't want to be pulled out of it. We just wanted to finish it. So that was our that was our main goal. And we knew that we were not going to be the fastest skiers, but we just sort of, you know, steady, steady, and then, you know, just get to the end. I think that's what we well, that was That was day
0: one. After day one, which I'm sure we'll come to, we did have a strategy after that. And the strategy yeah. was, right, let's just eat some fun out of this or it's going to be hellish. So we let people go ahead of us rather than having a bit of a bum fight with the middle of the pack on the first downhill. And we didn't mind if we were towards the back of the pack and the strategy was just to try and enjoy it and complete that section so it, it the strategy was quite relaxed from the outset but we, it changed yeah. after day one
1: but actually, i think that's great like you know what the goal is the goal is to complete it it's to have fun and that's incredibly powerful now you you mentioned the weather arctic weather can be unpredictable what happened with the weather well, just about everything, really. I mean, I will mm. say
0: that what I was most apprehensive about is if it was really cold, because it does get up to minus 30, sometimes minus 35. And in those sort of temperatures, you've got a very real risk of frost sniff and frostbite. And I think that, you know, when you don't even take a glove off, that introduces a whole new element of difficulty. Mm. It wasn't that cold. The coldest was night number two, which was minus 17. We woke up and there was about a foot of snow in front of our tent. But the weather very much changed. Day one, we had a headwind of 20 miles an hour and the elevation on day one was the equivalent of two and a half times Snowden. So we were basically climbing the whole of day one. When we did get to downhills, we weren't technically able to ski down them and the piece wasn't in good condition at all. So it was extremely difficult day one. But just to come back to the weather. We had beautiful weather on the back end of day mm. two. I mean stunning. It was just us. It was the end of the day, about quarter half six, quarter to seven. Pink sort of hue in the light. You know, the mountains were stunning. They were strikingly presented against the horizon. It was absolutely pink, yeah. extraordinary. Day three, the weather was amazing for the whole day. But day one, it was it was very windy. Beginning of day two, there was a whiteout, the race got mm. delayed by an hour. We literally had just about everything except rain, heavy winds, no wind at all. Snow. Snow. There's a lot there's a lot to contend with. And that's one of the, the real challenges of mm. an event like this, because you can go out in a mid jacket or mid layer and you're you know, we were in running, we had thermal leggings on, thermal long johns and then running tights. And you can go out on that and that'll be fine, but half an hour later you're having to get your, your shell jacket out, you're having to put your trousers on, the weather's turned, you know, the visibility's gone. So you're constantly having to take a sort of fifteen minute rolling assessment of the weather and whether you're wearing the right stuff.
2: Yeah, whether you're either too hot or too cold, and you don't want to be either, really, because if you're too cold, obviously, you're very uncomfortable. But if you're too hot, you're equally uncomfortable, because you sweat so much, you dehydrate so quickly. And it makes the whole thing so much harder, so, so much harder. And when you're cold, then you know, you can't really grip your skis, you're slower. Yeah. So it's really about temperature, you know, managing your body temperature, which is really, really difficult in cross country skiing.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So what is what's the actual structure of the race? So it's a three day race with a length of 160 kilometers. How does that work? Is it laps? You come back to a a tented village? Do you have to carry a tent? Are there checkpoints that you're going through? Is it time stages? Or is it just set, go and we'll see you in 160 kilometers? So
2: it's basically three days off. So it's breaking down to into 50, 52, 50 kilometers or whatever it is. And then you always go back to base camp. So the base is far away of not far away, about four kilometers away from the town of Sisimut. And then you your first day you race towards the camp. And then the, the following day you run, you ski back to the base, to the camp yeah it's two, two loop, three loops basically yeah, and the third
0: day you ski back to the village yeah. um but the camp itself is is beautiful it's a whole it's a two tents heated tents one for drying your kit and one for eating in and then you've got about 60 orange tents pitched up a short distance away and it's all on a frozen lake oh, wow yeah so, it so, is beautiful
1: so obviously the important question is how do you pee when you're out and about Oh, when it's when god. it's
2: minus thirty five. I wish you hadn't asked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this because I don't want you to go on a long ramble about hygiene. Oh my god! <laughs> the lose, oh. as you can imagine, are squalid. <clears throat> oh my goodness! I'm not going to go into too much detail, but we did have one moment of comedy where one of our <laughs> male competitors was in the male connected toilets. I was in the um, one of the traps in the females. The, sl- the ceiling had slightly come down. There's a hole in the floor. where You can see the snow and the rest of it. You can just imagine. And a woman opened the door and she's already dry heaving. <laughs> no. oh. She could be heard by my male counterpart in, in his toilet, dry heaving her way through her business and dry heaving. <laughs> and Antonia opened the door just as she was coming out, dry heaving. Slightly dramatic response, but they were pretty squalid. The short answer is quickly.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's 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 grim
1: actually but um mm. thankfully it wasn't so cold that you risked any but, sort of well so, so, so that's the portaloos but when you're out and about where well, was like minus 35 and you don't can't, you don't you oh, just I, don't oh, pee actually i did i oh, did oh yeah you
0: did get you i did on day three i was having such fun i thought why not it, squat
1: and squat make pee, it quick make it quit. okay make it, the yeah. sunny bit and, and try not to bit, yeah. try not to pee on your pants at the same time <laughs>
2: Indeed.
0: and then cover it with snow afterwards I mean, as a courtesy you, for the yeah. people behind you of which there were not many
2: i mean i had to i had to eat a couple of times in the night and it's such a it was such a mission honestly yeah. to get get out of the sleeping bag was one thing and then also then to get on you know i had to put my trousers my ski trousers on and because you can't and my gloves and my jacket and my hat mm. because you you just can't leave you know you just can't yeah. go out without anything on it, and then you have to walk about, I don't know, 50 meters to the toilets. And it's once I got caught up in a snowstorm at one o'clock in the morning. And it, that was quite an experience. I said, Oh my God. But yeah, you don't, you don't hang around, <laughs> even in Portaloose, you just don't have, because it's not heated. So you do it really, really quickly.
1: So, reflect, reflecting back on, on those three days, what would you say to, for each of you individually, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome?
0: Oh God. Well, for, for me, it was day one. I described it at the time as the worst day of my life. I was effing and jeffing. There were just a it was a really odd experience for me because I don't get anxiety, but about an hour in, I started to feel a bit anxious, a bit like I shouldn't really be here. I'm not qualified, I haven't got the ability to be here, I'm out of my depth. It's not a feeling I'm used to, so it was it was really unpleasant. I actually asked Antonia to ski behind me at one point so she could see me. I felt like I was just fending <clears> off the <throat> suggestion of feeling a bit panicky. And that feeling persisted all day, actually, until about an hour after we got into our tent. So it started about 11 in the about 12 hours I had it. What I thought I'd really enjoy, which is the solitude and the beauty of the mountains, I found quite threatening and menacing. Uh, and I, you know, the old, if you believe you can't, then you can't If you believe you can, you can. I was even falling and sliding down downhills that I could hmm. do because I didn't think I could. And I was ranting and raving and, and, t- and t- just trying to help. And I was shouting at her just basically in a, in a bit of a flap. I even had a tear, which is very out of character. It was a pretty horrific day one for me, actually. It sounds so dramatic now to say it was the worst, one of the worst days of my life, but I didn't mean it, it was at the time.
1: Tough. It, was tough. it was very tough. No, actually, I'd, I'd love to just go into that a bit more because I, I imagine that must have been incredibly difficult to be having these type of feelings because, you you know, you're such a strong such a strong woman. And then to be in this very sort of uncomfortable situation where you're feeling sort of threatened and, and things were feeling sort of menacing. It's very interesting words that you've chosen. But you, you pushed on through those 12 hours and that obviously couldn't have been easy. What were you relying on? How did you get through that?
0: Well, a few things. I mean, at the t- I'll be honest. At the time, I was saying I'm going to pull out. I'm not doing, you know, because it feels you've got another you've got a night in the camp, mm-hmm. then another day, then another night in the camp, and then another day, and it just feels like it felt unrelenting. So I said I was going to pull out. and did. Did Antonia mind? Now I didn't really mean it, but there was some intent. Had I not been with Antonia and gone back to camp and before i'd had any time to just fizz out gone straight to the race tents that i'm pulling out i might even have done it but anyway i didn't but uh, that's the level of discomfort the reasons i didn't were firstly the fundraising how on earth could i come back i've done lots of facebook lives and i've banged on about this and how can i come back and do a facebook live to say oh i've dropped out but Antonia's still up there doing it so there was that it's my you know obligation to my teammate as it were the fact that i'd done the fundraising and actually when i got into the the food tent and people could see we were partially catatonic and they were coming and someone (laughs) bought us a coffee i didn't even ask whether it was caffeinated i drink decaf you know people were kind to us and after you spend about an hour thinking about things you think okay let's go to the tent we'll chill out it'll be fine and i woke up the next day with a completely different attitude but that's why i guess you do some of these things with a fundraising intent behind you because that does keep you honest about stuff it does make you push past that but i also um somebody said to me you know you will not feel good on Sunday when we come back to camp and you're there back home I don't think I really would have done that but if you ever do feel like that on any kind of event it's just taking a bit of time out to calm down and you'll soon put things into perspective you know it's actually a privilege to be doing what we were doing Mm. tough as it was and it really was tough
2: but also, I think you know, the first day was such a shocker. I mean, for everyone, you know, yeah. you know, everyone was like, "Oh my God, what have we just done?" You know, yeah. it was, it was just not just us, you know, because we didn't have the technique to get through. It was even, you know, experienced skiers who were quite shocked by what they had to do on the first day. And uh, you know, just to put it in perspective, I mean, some of the professional skiers, because there are some professional skiers who who take part in these events and in this event in particular. And I think she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this in three hours, 50k in three hours. It's just incredible. But even for her, someone like her it took her four and a half hours just because the conditions were so horrible on the first day. There were no, tracks. Mean, were no tracks. There were no was a
0: headwind of 20 miles an I hour. Mean, and I mean,
2: Leanne and I, we've never trained in those conditions. No. You know, we had, we trained in beautiful sunny Austria with uh, nice tracks. We didn't have any tracks. They were completely blown over. We, we sometimes got lost. We said, do you think this is the this is the route, yeah. you know. We yeah, you, we, you, we had you, a couple of yeah. I mean, not not
0: ill-mannered disputes no, no, about no.
2: where which way we were she going. We were going
0: forty-five up. degrees out in our
2: opinions. Yeah, so I don't think this is the way. I think we have to go down that way. And yeah, so yeah. we felt like Nordic explorers at point at some points like proper you know like proper explorers in yeah. the in the Arctic, and really what we would do differently um, and, we, and I would encourage people who are doing these big challenges to think laterally, so we just
0: thought about skiing because it 's a ski race, mm. but actually, a really good thing we could have done is gone over to the Seven Sisters in Sussex or whatever hills are near you and pack a fairly heavy sack heavier than your carry on your race day. And in our case, put the skis between the straps and go up and down the Seven Sisters, because that's a lot of what we did. But we didn't think about that. We just thought it's a ski race. We
2: should ski. We should roll a ski or, or actual ski. Yeah. But to be fair, most people said, oh, my God, this is more like a ski trekking race, it's more like ski touring. Yeah. Than, than cross country skiing, so a lot of people were surprised by the terrain and yeah. the steepness
1: of it the first yeah. day. Um Antonio, yeah. I just want to ask you: you said on you know day one, you said it was a shocker for for everyone, and obviously you know and Liam w- was struggling on that day, you know, almost wanting to quit and t- and and to leave and, and stop, and you know, dealing with all these all these feelings unrelented. Now it's never going to end. So you're obviously having to provide additional extra support, you know, for Liam, for your teammate, for your partner. How did that impact on you and your sort of emotional reserves and your mental strength and your mental resilience? Actually, I must
2: say, I mean, as hard as it was, day one, mentally, I wasn't struggling quite as much as Leanne. So I was in a good shape to actually be able to support her. So I was just horrified by the by the steepness of it all as well. And also, there was one bit of the race where you could actually see the camp, but they sent us around and around and around for another eight kilometers. And by that, you know, you know, it's just... You were much better at keeping it together, but you know when but, someone loses but, their stuff and then you think. Yeah, but I don't. I don't take it so seriously because I know. I know Liana well enough to know that if she has a go at me, that this is. I can't do this. I'm not going to repeat all the words she oh, no, she uses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew it's just the moment, and it's basically her discomfort talking. You know, it's not her. Yeah. And you know, and I could see how tense she was, and I could see how she couldn't go down stuff that she could go down easily. I knew, you know, I knew that she wasn't really in the right right it was just very hard for yeah. her I'm just basically there for support I just don't and I just said to her one foot at a time or one ski at the time you know don't look ahead don't look ahead I did sometimes I thought, oh my god I hope she hasn't seen those people in the background up in the mountain that we have to go up again I thought they were trees <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know I just thought oh I hope she keeps her eyes down so she doesn't know where we're going yeah. so for me it wasn't it wasn't that bad on the first day I just thought you know I broke it down as I said before I I tend to break these down these big events in little pieces you know the next flagpole the next hill and I never look as I said I put my brain on ice I don't look further ahead I just do bits and bits and bits and that's the really big difference between you and I isn't it I tend
0: to look quite far ahead and try and guess and then I think oh we must be halfway and then you get to a marshal and they say, no, you've got another X to go. And then I'm devastated because I've, I've only mentally prepared for another 10K and I've just been told it's 15. And then I start effing and jeffing about the injustice of it. And that's just <laughs> not the way you can do these events. So what I learned, a very big thing about my mental endurance, which is not as strong as Antonia, as much as I whatever I think of it. It's not because it's been put to the test. So. The next time we do an endurance event, which will be the Scotland's rat race coast to coast in September, I'm going to start breaking things down into much smaller chunks and I'm not going to start guessing where I think I am. I'm just going to take it chunk by chunk by chunk because the only downside of that is on a three day event that makes it feel like a very, very big Mm -hmm. thing because you've broken it down to such small chunks. but. I think that's the way I need to go about things because mm. I kept stitching myself up by trying to guess how far we were or yeah. it'll be the drinking station will be over the next hill. It's not. There's five more false horizons before that drinking station looms yeah. into
2: view. Yeah, so yeah it's really mean, interesting from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, an event just to add to this is an event like this is basically also, you know, It's not just one day, it's like three days. So, the first day, I was okay with what I was facing. The second day, we took a different approach and I was fine. The third day, I know we were going back to the hotel. I don't know, I think mentally I let myself go a little bit. I thought, oh, you know, it's not going to be that bad. And then towards the end, there was the last, I don't know, maybe 10K towards the camp, uh, towards the town. And I just completely underestimated that distance. I just thought it was going to be shorter. So I fell into that trap of thinking it was shorter. And then I noticed that Leanne was going on about, oh, are we nearly there yet? And I thought, oh, I can't deal with this right now. And I said to her, I'm going to go ahead for 10 minutes. You know, I need to go ahead because I'm struggling right now. So I can't deal with yours. Just keep you know, I go ahead. And then 10 minutes later, I'm in a better mood now. Can we ski together? (laughs) So we ended up skiing together again. But yeah, it's the accumulative effect as well of an event like that, you know, you kind of hold it together. And then, you know, I don't know how I would have felt on day four, I might have had more cracks, you know, because I was showing cracks towards the end of day three, and that was going home. (laughs) So it's not just one day, but you know, it's kind of all of it. And for me, camp was an experience. I mean, surprisingly, I slept very well in the tent. I didn't expect that to be sleeping well in minus 10, minus 13 or minus 17 degrees. But the loo situation—that was my biggest no. challenge. Well, I mean, you have, I, I'm not going to go into no, it, but it was not, the you're biggest not challenge ever. hygiene
0: rabbit hole. The one funny thing about that was that she'd come armed with all sorts of things like wet wipes. So she brought them into the tent at night, thinking, "I'm not going to the loo without those wet wipes because it gives them a good clean down with the wet wipes." Of course, they freeze in the night, don't they? She was devastated. In the morning, the wet wipes are frozen like, Oh solid. no, the wet wipes are frozen. <laughs> anyway.
1: So you've, yeah. you've been back a couple of weeks now, and I'd love you just to, you've obviously had a, a little bit more time to reflect and to think back about, you know, what you achieved, this incredible race, the Arctic Circle race, the world's toughest ski race. What do you think has been the key learning? I mean, I know, Leanne, for you, you said chunking thing down, that's obviously a key thing. Is there anything else that you would sort of put up there?
0: Not not for me, I don't think. I mean, I'm a big fan of getting into your discomfort zone to build resilience, to build confidence, to get energized. The other benefit of it, it's not quite answering your question, but I'll come back to it. The other benefit of it is you mix with some extraordinary people. It's not your everyday Joe that does the MDS or multiple marathons or the world's toughest ski race. So you're with some very, very interesting people. So I suppose one learn in a way is you know you really enjoyed being in that environment with those I love people, them, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, really So how how me. more often can we do that? Mm. For me, it was really around the mental endurance. That's a massive thing that I've got to improve at. So that's probably the big thing for mm-hmm. me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean similarly for me on the flip side. On the flip side, I mean I I realize that my mental endurance strength is is better than I thought. I mean I haven't really done many of these events. I mean I've done marathons. I have, I've done you know the coast to coast as I said before, but. All of that pales in comparison to what we have done there, because it's not just the race itself, it's also camp life and all that sort of stuff. And I've never done that before. And I'm surprised at how well I cope with it. Yeah. So I'm I'm quite pleased with that. But as Leanne said, for me, the highlights were really also meeting the other contentants because they are all very, very humble, humble people, but very interesting. And some of them, you know top athletes and former top athletes who you who did cross-country skiing professionally and you know just meeting them and you becoming friends with them was just extraordinary really
1: yeah so i've, I've got a couple of, i've got about four more questions a bit of a bit a few quick questions really so i'd love to know from each of you what would be your top tip for anybody who's going to do the arctic circle race leanne kick mm. us off okay <clears throat> so definitely
0: don't just do skiing the strength training also as I said charge up and down hills carrying cross-country skis and maybe about you fill up a 15 litre rucksack but not with super heavy stuff because you don't have to carry super heavy stuff and and just go up and down the hills whatever hills you can find near you run up them hike up them and carry weight up and down them that would be the main thing I'm actually going to write a blog post with everything that we learned from it so they are it's organized by I have, you know, a group of people in the system, the local people. So it's not a big mass participation event in terms of its organization. They only really give you a kit list and information two weeks before. So I'm going to write a blog with all the stuff we learned that would be useful for people to know. But that would be the main tip in terms of training.
2: Yeah, I would say aerobic fitness definitely because because of the hills. So hill runs, I would say, is a must. That would be my top tip, really. Hill that's runs. my top tip. Yeah, I know. But that's that – there's. <laughs> skiing skiing is not that important i mean there was one guy there who had only one week of skiing underneath his belt well, we only but, had one week and two yeah days. yeah well we had the we, and we had knowledge park but he this guy yeah. had only one week of skiing underneath his belt but you know he is aerobically very very fit yeah so, oh no no there's a better <clears throat> tip that we can do than that oh. so the other one i would say is is don't be afraid
0: to bring normal food we brought oh, freeze-dried yes, food yes.
2: oh god because disgusting. we thought that's yes. what you
0: did on things like this and it is if you're carrying your own food but we weren't you drop your bag in with your bits and pieces and your your stuff for two days and your food and they they ship it up to camp for you so you can bring tins of fruit you can bring proper food in boxes you don't have to have freeze-dried food so that would be because freeze-dried food i thought was pretty disgusting so that's nice. a massive
2: tip for people yeah. if they're doing it yeah pot noodle cup of, cup of soup or whatever yeah, bring they, whatever yeah. food you want because you're not much better
1: it. much better and uh, antonia coming to you first what was the best piece of kit that you had gloves hmm gloves so merino
2: base layer gloves and then i had with normal normal cross-country gloves because on the days where it wasn't too cold they were perfect because you do get sweaty but then there are moments where it gets really really cold so they are not enough so you have to have a, another sort of layer of gloves so i was wearing at some point three layers of gloves and that's super important because if you've got cold hands
1: mm-hmm.
2: you're on the downhill from then Got
1: you, leanne for you what was your favorite bit of kit uh, favorite bit
2: of Okay,
0: well I bought my phone actually I don't know if we can count that because I recorded live various my thoughts on different stages of the experience which I'm really glad I did because I listen back now and I think oh god yeah you can hear in my voice how much I'm hating that um,
1: <laughs> did you get one where um, you were
0: effing and jerrying as you say when we came in on day one I had to wait two and a half hours before I recorded because it would have been too blue to broadcast <laughs> and too miserable as well and too full of negativity so I had to fizz out a bit before I recorded it. But, yeah, I've
1: captured quite a lot of it. Okay, was awesome. wasn't. And then your mantra, you know, the mantra or the words that you had going over in your head. Antonia, what was what was your mantra?
2: I was counting.
1: counting I was okay.
2: counting. Yeah, I was counting, especially uphill. I just said, let's see if I can do it in 10. Let's see if I can do it in 5 or whatever. Let's see how long it takes me to get from here to there.
1: And I just started counting. So that's what I did. Did. And would yeah. out of interest, would you just count one to ten over and over yeah. and over again? Yeah, yeah, I go to one, yeah. two,
2: three four, and I say, let's see if I can do this in ten or less. Okay. Usually I didn't because I got tired, but yeah,
1: <laughs> that's mm. basically what it is,
2: up to ten and then I start again. Oh, I do a similar thing actually, but I find that I fall into the pattern of a nursery
0: I'm da 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 da. But my my mantra really was just the next drinking station and just focus on that. And, so, and actually, I need to, to shrink it to much smaller goals, but that was what I was was really focusing on. Got you. Um, best item of food that you had? Oh, I, I know exactly what it is. It's the Pringles someone gave us. Someone had <laughs> Pringles. <laughs> Um I the freeze dried food I thought
1: was grim. It, it actually so, wasn't that bad. So you, you didn't even have any like in. you didn't even have any like nice fun snacks, like frozen chocolate it or anything?
0: We had pepperonis. Yeah, I, I mean it wouldn't like normally pepperoni. eat a pepperoni, but I was literally I, I was having I Antonio's like... arm off for a pepperoni at times. We had some kind bars and they were quite nice. I did buy two large slabs of Cadbury's Whole and Which was my favourite chocolate in the whole world. Unfortunately they got eaten before we'd even started the race. <laughs> 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 One of them got done on the plane, actually. <laughs> So that that is the thing. That's why I mention it as the tip, as an afterthought. We did. We just fell into the, the groove of thinking that and food muffin has you had. to be. You had a muffin that day. Oh, and that was nice, yeah. yeah. The experienced skiers had things like muffins and Pringles because they, they Jump knew fruit, that you could just b- bring anything you fancied on an event like that because you didn't have to carry it. We just hadn't thought of that. One even had a beer. Yeah. yeah. And, she an and she was gear. an
1: ex-professional She was an ex-professional skier. was part yeah. of her recovery. Yeah. Do, do your beer is actually great for recovery if you're. Yeah, if you're that's, that's if you're what not she was you were saying. I have
2: heard that. I've yeah. been saying that for quite a long time. Leanne I'm total, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. See. Oh.
1: Well, it sounds like you both had you know a fantastic time. You did an incredible job. It was a phenomenal undertaking It, it is a big challenge it's a difficult challenge and I think everyone's going to be really excited actually about you writing blog posts about it and sharing a little bit more online i know you've you' shared something on your on your podcast as well. Do you just both want to share or individually share? Where people can find out more information about, A, what you do with Body Shop Performance, but also how they can find out more information about your podcast and where people can listen, listen find out, yeah, you know what I mean, find yeah, out more I about it. Yeah. stuff, yeah, and go for, for it. That.
0: So the company Body Shop Performance, we do, we work with individuals for six or 12 months, we use DNA testing, blood testing, microbiome testing, and then clever, inhibitive, wearable tech to basically remove all the guesswork around someone's health and then coach them to a better outcome. So we'll look at sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, fitness, and so on. So you can find out more by going onto to bodyshopperformance.com for that. The podcast is called Remove the Guesswork, and it's my latest episode released on Wednesday, so the 10th. In which I talk about the experience. So I've overlaid my commentary back here in the UK with my live recordings uh, out in the Arctic. So it's it's a pretty fun episode to listen to. And our Facebook page is Body Shop Performance Limited. You can also follow us on there and get all our content.
1: Yep. fantastic. What you said. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ladies, Antonia Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the Tough Girl Podcast. Tough Girl Podcast Extra to share more of your story. I'll make sure I put all the links to everything you've talked about. And oh, do you know your next challenge? Do you have another endurance Challenge booked wow. in? <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name of it.
0: So it's called, we're thinking about this for 2021. It's called the Iceman Polar Challenge. It's a four-day event where you're carrying, a, you're, you're hauling a sledge. We don't know much about it now. We've just sort of put it on the horizon and thought, yeah, I think what we're going to do is try and raise 10 grand for Alzheimer's every two years. And that's probably going to be the next one.
1: Amazing. And that £500 jacket that you all want will definitely get used again. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, Sarah, thanks for having us. It's been a real privilege. Thank
1: thank you. It's been super awesome.
0: Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.